All right, we're going to be continuing in our series on the life of David. So go ahead and grab a Bible, open it up, turn it on on your device, head to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, that's where we're going to start. We'll kind of skip over to chapter 23 in just a minute, but we're going to start in 18. And uh, whether you're here as a, as a Christian this morning, or maybe you're here and you're just exploring the faith, maybe a friend invited you or something like that, I think uh, no matter where you are on that kind of that spiritual journey spectrum uh, today, what we're going to be talking about today is really critically important for you because whether you realize it or not, we, we have a crisis in our culture. The reality is we have a, we have a bunch of different uh, crisis stuff in our culture, but there's one in particular that I, I would just guess has probably bled into your life in some way, form, or fashion. And, and here's the crisis that we face. As, as Americans, we are simultaneously the most connected society in the history of the world, and at the same time, the most lonely society in the history of the world. Uh, Fortune 500 just uh, published an article a few months ago, and it cited a nationwide study that uh, was put on by a health insurance uh, giant. And they got the results back from this study, and they were absolutely uh, blown away by the results. And here, here's what they found in this nationwide survey. Uh, 54% of Americans feel like nobody actually knows them. Over half of the people in our country, and probably over half of the people sitting in this room right now, feel like nobody actually knows who they are. 56% of people in this country feel like the people that they've surrounded themselves with aren't really with them. They're just, the people in their lives are, are white noise. There's no real connection with the people that they spend the majority of their time with. 40% of people said they lacked companionship. So we're not even talking about friendship. We're just talking about people in your life, people that are kind of floating through your life and you're hanging out with a little bit. 40% said they don't even have that. 40% said they're, uh, they don't have any significant relationships in their life and they feel completely isolated. Now, the, the fascinating thing about this, this study is that the younger the generation and the more connected each generation becomes, particularly in the realm of social media, the more isolated each generation feels. So like, for instance, the builder generation, like my grandparents' generation, they, they generally feel pretty connected. They have some deep friendships. You get to the boomer generation, like my, my mom and dad, their generation, they have less connection than their parents, but they still have a pretty good level of connection and they have some friendships. But listen, by the time you get down to the younger generations, you get into Gen X, you get into the millennial generation, you get into the Gen Z generation, each preceding generation gets more and more isolated. And the article goes on to say that there are now major concerns in the health industry because they've now figured out that our mental health is connected to our physical health. I'm like, man, if you just read the Bible, God said that for like, a million years, like thousands of years, right? We are holistic beings, right? Our, our mind is connected to our body, and I would even add, add our spiritual component as well. We are holistic beings. Everything affects everything else, but now in the medical world, they're just now discovering it. Like, man, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, all this is connected, and now they're super concerned because what they're discovering is all these people that feel completely isolated in our culture, over half of people, have no friendships, 
Over half the people feel like nobody in the world actually knows who they are. They're figuring out that these people are more susceptible to disease. They're more susceptible to poor health and depression. Listen to what one author wrote citing this study. They wrote, uh, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. So you guys know smoking and obesity are two of the leading causes of death in our country. And now the medical society is telling us, listen, loneliness and isolation, just as deadly. Physically speaking, just as, maybe, maybe more deadly in some cases. See, mo- most of us are highly connected, but most of us are deeply lonely. And the, the concern is that the results of this as a nation, if we continue down this pathway of being highly connected, but being in a kind of a station of life where nobody actually knows us, we don't have any true deep friendships, the concern is ultimately this could be catastrophic for us as a nation. This is an epidemic, and the, and the weird thing is like nobody's talking about this in our culture. Now, that, that's the bad news, and that truly is really bad news. Here's the good news. God has a better design for your life. God has a better plan, has a better way for your life, and we get a picture of that, really an incredible picture of that, as we look at David's life, and specifically as we look at David's relationship, his friendship with Jonathan. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at uh, friendship. I'm going to give you just some kind of some general basic highlights and truths about friendship. And then we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to look at the actual DNA of true biblical friendship. And uh, that will be our, our time together this morning, okay? First Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. As soon as he, as David, had finished speaking with Saul, listen to this. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, that's David, that day, would not let him return to his father's house. So now they're, they're both in the palace, in the kingdom. Verse three, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, here, here's the fascinating thing as we just kind of dig through this text. There, there is no reason, earthly speaking, humanly speaking, there is no reason David and Jonathan should be friends. You think about it, they have, they have almost nothing in common. As we, as we saw last week, David grows up in the sheep field in Podunk, Bethlehem, middle of nowhere. Jonathan's in the palace. He's the son of the king, right? He's, he's the crown prince. He's the heir apparent of the throne to the the king, uh, his father, Saul. Scholars believe that Jonathan was, was probably at least five years older than David, maybe 10, 15 years older than David. David is blue collar. Jonathan is white collar. David is a Carolina fan. Jonathan's a Duke fan, all right? David would have been pulling for the Patriots next week. Jonathan would have been pulling for the Rams next week. I mean, there, there's no reason these guys should be friends especially since God has chosen David to be the next king, but Saul has chosen Jonathan to be the next king. If anything, these guys should have been bitter rivals. These guys should have been enemies even, but that's not what happens. This is amazing. Scripture says, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. 
Later it says, Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. Now what that means is that this was not a superficial friendship. This was a really deep friendship. It's the kind of friendship really that that only God can, can birth. You might even call it a supernatural friendship. And I believe it's the type of friendship that we're all designed to have in our lives, both vertically with God and also horizontally with other people. And so here's, here's the, kind of the first truth that I want you to walk away with uh, this morning. Here's number one. True friendship is a gift from God. Brother, sister, if you have a true friend like this, thank God for it because this is his good gift to you. This is not something that just happens by like randomly hanging out with someone. When God knits your soul to another, like that deep level of friendship, that is God's doing. It is his gift to us. True, true friendship is a, is a gift really that should uh, just stir within our hearts this, this feeling and this uh, idea of thanksgiving to God. Realizing that, man, we, we can't manufacture this type of relationship, this kind of deep friendship. This is God's doing. This is his gift uh, to us. Augustine, the great church father, writing about friendship, he said, what is a friend? A friend is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. And I think that was, he was kind of playing on uh, 1 Samuel 18, David and, and Jonathan. Thomas Fuller, 17th century uh, author, historian, he said, they are rich who have true friends. He's saying this is God's gift to us. One of my favorites, C.S. Lewis. He said, friendship is unnecessary. It's like philosophy. It's like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that give value to survival. James, the actual half-brother of Jesus, says every good gift and every perfect gift and friendship would definitely be one of those gifts is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. True friendship is a gift from God. It is rare. It is, it is a treasure And it is one of God's greatest gifts to us. We should seek it, and when we have it in our lives, we should just give God all the thanks for the gift of true friendship. Here's the second highlight about true friendship. Number two, true friendship is fuel for our spiritual lives. Let me show you what I mean. First Samuel, go over to chapter 23 real quick. First Samuel chapter 23, this is so incredible. Um, Verse 15, just as we go through this, just notice this relationship between David and Jonathan. David saw that Jonathan had, or sorry, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. So David is, as we talked about last week, he's literally on the run for his life as as Saul hunts him and tries to to kill him because he's so jealous of David. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Verse 17. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I love this, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Now, if you read the earlier part of chapter 23, and I hope you're reading along with us as we kind of work through First and Second Samuel, but the first part of chapter 23 uh, David comes upon this, this city called Keilah, and they're under siege from the, the Philistine uh, army. And so David comes in there, and he rescues the people in this city called Keilah from this 
wicked kind of Philistine army. And then the, the people that he saves, right on the hills of them being saved by David, they betray him to Saul. So Saul kind of hears that he's there. Saul comes into Keilah. He's like, uh, was David here and where is he at? They're like, yeah, he was here. He's over there. So he's being betrayed here again. David is now again on the run for his life. He's out in the wilderness. We know from reading the text that he's moving from town to town. He's moving from cave to cave. He's going from hideout to hideout. David would have been tired. He would have been weary. This would have been absolutely exhausted. He's been betrayed yet again, not just by Saul, but by a people, an entire city that he just saved. Uh, David's got to be at the end of his rope, just hanging on. And I love what verse 16 says, and Jonathan rose. Jonathan sees this. And Jonathan rose, and he went to David, and it says he strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan goes. He encourages David. And by the way, this would have been from Jerusalem, this place in the wilderness, would probably would have been like 30 or 40 miles away. This is before they had cars, right? So this, this is not like you hopping in the car and driving five minutes from Asheville to Weaverville. Jonathan had to pack up, and this would have been a several-day journey to go and find David. And he goes and he finds him in the wilderness, and he strengthens him. He encourages him. He's like, David, you got to remember, man, God is with you. God is with you, man. You, you are going to be the next king. Don't be afraid. My, my father Saul is not going to lay a finger on you. And then he says something remarkable. He says, and I shall be next to you. In other words, David, I'm not going anywhere, man. I'm not, I'm not letting you go out like that. We ride together, we die together, man. We're bad boys for life. I've got your back. But more importantly, David, you need to know this, God's got your back. Now, listen, friend, I don't care how, um, how big and tough you think you are. I don't, I don't care how self-sufficient and independent you fancy yourself. Life has a way of bringing us all to our knees, and when that day comes, not if that day comes, when that day comes for you in your life, staying in the fight, staying in the game, spiritually speaking, is a lot harder if you don't have this type of friend in your life. Who's coming at 3 a.m. when your life crashes down around you? Who's your 3 a.m. friend? David had that in Jonathan. We need that. I need that. You need that. The, listen, the, the Christian life is awesome, but here's what the Christian life is not. It's not easy. Somebody say amen. It's not easy. The Christian life is really, really hard sometimes. And unless you have those people in your life, unless you have those deep, true, biblical type of friendships in your life, those people to come around you and pick you up, those people to encourage you, those people to remind you who you are in Christ. If you don't have that, listen, friend, you are in a very dangerous spot in your life. True friendship is fuel for our spiritual lives. We need it. God designed us for it. In fact, I would even go so far as to say your walk with God oftentimes is only going to be as healthy as the true friendships in your life. That is how important this is. This is no small thing. Now, here's the third uh, truth about friendship I want to give you. Number three, true friendship is forged in community. In other words, for most of us, this doesn't just happen by accident. 
For most of us, this just, it's not like a haphazard thing that just happens. Right? David and Jonathan, they're on the battlefield together. They're now living in Saul's palace together. They fought wars together as they got older. These guys are living in community. They were around each other all the time. They'd be eating meals together. They would have prayed together. They would have fought armies together. Their bond is deepened as they begin to live life together. And this has always been God's plan for his people. From day one, like think about it, go back, go back to the garden. Go back to Genesis chapter one. You guys know the story. Like God is creating everything that is, right? So he's creating the plants and he's creating the trees and he's creating the animals and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. And every time God creates something, he says what? It is good. It is good. And for the first time, he looks and he sees Adam alone. And for the first time, he says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone and so God creates Eve, and in Eve, God creates deep friendship and community for humanity. We, listen, we see this even within God himself. Think about the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, perfect, eternal community and friendship. This is a part of God's DNA, so it should be no surprise to us that as his image bearers, we are created with the same capacity and need for deep Friendships, both vertically with God and also horizontally with other people. Think about the life of Jesus, right? He poured into 12 guys. Now, yeah, he would go and preach to the thousands. He would preach to the masses, but then he would, he would retreat with his disciples. He lived life and he poured into 12 guys, forged deep friendships, deep bonds with his disciples. Now, th this is crucial. We are created to thrive as human beings in community, with deep friendships. That's a just, just shameless plug, man. If you've been at New Life for a little while, you haven't moved beyond Sunday morning, you haven't kind of checked out one of our small groups, man, there's never been a better time for you to check out one of our community groups, right? We're in January. We're just starting the year. Let me encourage you. Go check out a community group. True friendships are forged in community. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper and I want to look at, based on what we're seeing from David and Jonathan, I want to look at the actual DNA of true, authentic, biblical friendship. Like, what are the elements that make up this elusive thing that we call friendship? Now, here's the question that I don't want us to ask as we work through this. I don't want us to ask the question, how can I find this type of friend? Because I think that's our tendency in messages like this or as we're working through a text like this, our, our mind can go to like, man, how do I, how do I find this? Like, God, when are, you gonna, when are you gonna bring this type of friend to me? I think that's, that's the wrong question. Rather, the question I want us to ask as we work through this is how can I become this kind of friend? Amen. Not how can I find it? Why doesn't God bring it to me? Rather, how can I become this kind of friend? Like, what, what does God need to reshape, reorganize, reprioritize in my life? What does he need to change in my heart so that I can become this type of friend to somebody else? I can remember as, as a kid, my mom used to tell me all the time, Chris, if you, wanna, if you want a friend, be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. So simple, so true, and yet almost universally ignored by all of us. See, our tendency is, man, we, wanna, we just kind of like, we want to wait around He's like, God, just, just plop somebody down in my lap magically. God, bring me this perfect, amazing friend who's just gonna serve me. 
just going to meet my every need. He's going to be there whenever I need them. Going to tell me how awesome I am. God, just bring me this type of friend. But the amazing thing is that God brings us these type of friends when we start to become this kind of friend. Isn't it amazing how that works? So again, the question is not, how can I find a friend like this? That's the wrong question. The question for us this morning is, what do I need to do to become a friend like this? So, DNA of true friendship, the first element is this, self-sacrifice. Go back to chapter 18. It says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Now, here, here's what's going on, because we, we read that, we're Americans in 2019, and that means like nothing to us. But you've got to understand, Jonathan was the crown prince of the kingdom, Jonathan was the next guy to be king, and yet Jonathan knows that David has been appointed by God to be the next king. So if anybody had reason to be jealous of David, to be his rival, to be his enemy, it was Jonathan. And so when Jonathan did this, when Jonathan kind of stripped off his kingly robe and and handed his armor and his sword, gave all that to David, then everybody in the world that would have seen that, they would have known exactly what Jonathan was saying. Jonathan was saying, You're the next king, bro. It is not about me. I willingly give you my crown. This is is the kind of the posture of Jonathan's heart. And this is so counterculture for us as as Americans in 2019, man. I mean, we we get bent out of shape when somebody cuts in line in front of us at the grocery store, right? We're, We're ready to throw hands. But man, you just cost me an extra 30 seconds of my day, man. Or somebody cuts us off in traffic, man. We're, we're ready to go at it. Like, man, you, you made me tap on my brakes. Like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know how important I am? Like, we just live with a sense of uh, just like self-importance, false sense of self-importance and entitlement, but not, not David and not Jonathan. Jonathan's heart was like, God, listen, if this is your plan, God, if this is your plan for David to be king and not for me to be king, If I have to sacrifice my kingship and my riches and my influence, if that's your plan, God, let's do it. Let's do it. I trust you, God, because I know that your plan is better than my plan. Your plan is the best. So even if I have to sacrifice everything in my life, everything I've dreamed of since I was a little boy, if this is your plan, God, count me in. I'm going to be David's biggest supporter. I'm going to be his best friend. I will fight to the death for the man who is going to take my crown because God's ways are always better than my ways. This is breathtaking self-sacrifice. We're not talking about Jonathan giving David like the last Oreo in the pack type sacrifice. Now that's a good friend, right? I'm not going to lie. If you've got a friend that gives you the last Oreo, especially if you've got a cold glass of milk to dunk that in, I want that kind of friend. That's a good friend. This This is not what we're talking about here. Jonathan is giving up wealth that none of us could ever even imagine. He's given up power. He's given up influence. He's given up fame, not just for himself, but for his kids and his grandkids. Man, what do you think, what do you think this type of sacrifice did for David's love for Jonathan? To be loved like this? To have a friend who would literally give up everything for you at the drop of a hat? Man, what does that level of self-sacrifice do in the context of a relationship? Man, that is, that is power. 
in a relationship. That is powerful and that is beautiful. I remember a few years ago, um, Judah is six now, our son. At the time, he was probably like a year and a half, maybe two. And for the first two or three years of Judah's life, I think we were in the emergency room as much as we were at home. He was just always getting into something. And there was one night, it was getting pretty late. I think our, our two girls were, were probably already in bed. And um, Judah, must have, he must have swallowed something because he was, he was bleeding from places that he shouldn't have been bleeding from. And so we're thinking, man, I, you know, we don't know if he swallowed glass or money or like a quarter. We don't know what's going on, but we know he's not supposed to be bleeding from where he's bleeding from. And so, we're, you know, we're young parents. We're kind of like freaking out a little bit. And um, so we're like, man, we, we got to get this little guy to the, to the ER. And I remember I, I had a friend like this, a deep friendship. And I just called him and I said, man, I know it's late, um, but could, could you come over here and stay with, with our girls, man, because we got to get Judah to the, to the ER. And this friend of mine, he probably lived about 15 minutes away. And I kid you not, like three, three minutes later, he's knocking on my door in his PJs. Like, he didn't even get dressed. He's just, man, he was, he was there. It didn't matter. Two o'clock in the morning, he's got four kids of his own at home to take care of. Didn't matter. I called him. I needed him. He was there in his PJs, sleeping all night on my uncomfortable couch so I could have the peace of mind to be with my son in a really stressful time in the hospital. There's just this connection between self-sacrifice and deep friendships. We can't, we can't separate those two things. They go together. Amen. Think about the story of uh, John the Baptist. You guys remember that story. Like John the Baptist had it going on, didn't he? I mean, he was out there by the Jordan River. John the Baptist was preaching. Huge crowds coming. He had his own disciples. Everyone's like, yeah, John's the man. Like John, John the Baptist, literally, he could have been the first megachurch pastor ever had he wanted to. Literally. He could have just said, man, let's, we got all these thousands of people. Let's, let's build a building, man. I'm going to go write a book. <laughs> he, could have, he, he absolutely could have done that. And yet, when Jesus shows up, he, tur- he turns the crowd and points their attention to Jesus. He says, I'm not even worthy to tie that dude's shoes. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. You guys should be following him. He's the Messiah. He's he's the son of God. He's the savior. You should be following him. And then later in the story, his disciples, his friends come up to him and they're upset. They're like, John, look, the crowds aren't coming to us anymore, man. The crowds are following Jesus. They're all going to him to be baptized and they're upset about it because they're losing fame and recognition and influence. And John's response to his friends is amazing. He says, he, that is Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. So John the Baptist goes, man, it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's, it's, about, it's about him. This whole thing is about Jesus. But Jesus himself taught us what it means to wash our friends' feet, did he not? You got to think, like, back, back in that culture, people wore sandals, and they walked on these nasty, dusty roads where animals were going, and so they would have been walking through dirt and, like, animal dung and nasty stuff. Like, the lowest servants in the household would wash guests' feet. It was disgusting. It was nasty. Like, none of us would do it. And Jesus gets down on his knee, and he washes his friend's feet, his disciples' feet, He's teaching them that we have to lead by serving. We lead by sacrificing. This is the inverted kingdom of God where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The one who leads must serve. And so here's the deal, man. If 
If you have, if all the friendships in your life are about you, if all the friendships in your life are about meeting your needs, about meeting your expectations, and you get upset and want to walk away when somebody isn't meeting your needs or your expectations, if all your friendships are about serving you, guess what? You will never experience Jonathan and David. You will never experience a true friendship like this. And by the way, this, this, this principle isn't just uh, between like uh, two dudes who are friends or two ladies who are friends. This is true in marriage as well. All right, you, you show me a marriage that's all about self, that's all about how my spouse should serve me and how my spouse should meet my needs and how, hey, I wash the dishes and so you need to take the trash out. You owe me. You show me a marriage like that and I will show you a marriage that is heading for a train wreck. On the flip side of that, you show me a marriage that's patterned after Ephesians 5 where husbands are giving themselves away for their wives serving their wives, loving them, giving themselves away as Christ gave himself away for his bride, the church, and and wives who are serving their husbands, loving their husbands, following their husbands, just two people like giving themselves away to one another. You show me a marriage like that, and I will show you an amazing marriage. Not perfect. Not perfect. But you show me a marriage like that, where both people are self-sacrificing for the other, and I will show you an incredibly healthy marriage. You want this type of deep friendship with your spouse? You want this type of deep friendship with another person? Give yourself away relentlessly. Self-sacrifice is the DNA of true friendship. And the second kind of DNA strand of biblical friendship is this. It's honesty. So self-sacrifice, honesty. Jonathan told David the hard truths. When Jonathan found out that his father was out to to kill David, he didn't just tell David, like, hey, man, listen, everything's going to be okay. You just just relax, man. You just keep doing you, bro. It's all going to work out. No, Jonathan was like, man, you need to go on the run. You need to go like your life is in danger. And even though Jonathan was placing his own neck on the line by telling David the hard truth, he told him the hard truth anyway. Listen, friend, if you've surrounded yourself with friends who just tickle your ear, if you've surrounded yourself with people who just always constantly tell you what you want to hear, you don't have true friends. You don't. You don't have true friends because true friends tell you when you're about to wreck your life. True friends tell you when you're in danger, even when, maybe especially when, you don't want to hear it. So listen, if if you don't have people in your life who are speaking the hard things into your life, if if you don't have men and women in your life who are saying the hard things that you don't want to hear in your life, you don't have true friends. Listen to Proverbs uh, 27, 6. It says this, Wounds from a sincere or deep friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I love this quote from uh, Henry Beecher, 19th century pastor. He says, writing about friendship, it is one of the severest tests of friendship to tell your friend his faults. So to love a man that you cannot bear to see a stain upon him and to speak painful truth through loving words, that is friendship. 
And I've had friends at different points in my life who are willing to speak hard truths into my life, truths that, quite frankly, I didn't want to hear at the time. But I look back at those friendships and those times, and I give thanks to God for putting those men in my life. Guys who, who loved me enough to say the hard things even when I didn't want to hear them. See, honesty, hard truth, spoken in love, that is part of the DNA of true friendship. Without this, man, maybe you have relationships where there's flattery. Maybe you have companionship at best, but without this, you do not have true friendship. Here's the third element, or the element of the DNA of true friendship. It's loyalty. Self-sacrifice, honesty, loyalty. Jonathan was under intense pressure from his father, Saul, the king, to kill David. In fact, there's a, there's a scene in chapter 20 where Saul rips into Jonathan. And he calls Jonathan, remember, this is his son. He calls Jonathan a, the son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He's insulting Jonathan's mother. I mean, he's just taking digs, trying to cut his son deeply. And he says, Jonathan, don't, man, don't you understand that as long as David is alive, you're never going to be king, man. Saul was furious. Jonathan would have been under incredible pressure, not just from his dad, but from his whole family. Like, remember, their, their future wealth, their future power was tied up in him becoming king one day. Nobody would have blamed Jonathan from walking away from David at this point. In fact, I think everybody would have understood I think it made sense for David just for Jonathan just to walk away from David, but he wouldn't. Jonathan put his life on the line again and again and again for David. He was loyal to David to the very end. See, true friendship doesn't walk away when things get tough. True friendship doesn't bail when there's a price to pay. True true friendship is steady, it's present, it's loyal. Notice in both chapters uh, 18 and 23, Jonathan and David made a covenant with one another before God. Now, a covenant is different than a contract. You know that, right? A contract is, is like, hey, as long as you do this for me, as long as you please me, then I'll do these things over here for you. So, like, say just for instance, like if you have a Uh, say, a Netflix subscription or something like that. Whether you realize it or not, when you signed up for Netflix, you checked the box, you agreed to a contract that said, as long as they provide you streaming service, you're gonna pay them X dollars a month. Now, as soon as you stop paying them X dollars a month, guess what's gonna happen? They're done with you. (laughs) And guess what happens? If they cut off my subscription, guess what's gonna happen for them? I'm not gonna pay them any more money, right? It's, it's a self-serving. That's, that's what a contract is. But a covenant says, listen, I'm gonna hold up my end of the deal no matter what. I'm holding up my end of the deal no matter what you do it's because it's not about me. I'm keeping my end of the deal till the end. And so when Jonathan and David made a covenant before the Lord, they were essentially saying, we are loyal to one another to the bitter end. And if that means that that's until Saul kills us both, we are in this together, come hell or high water. Loyalty. The fourth strand of uh, true friendship DNA is this, shared passion for God. Shared passion for God. Remember back to chapter 18, it says, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. Later it says, Jonathan loved David's soul as his own. Here's what that means. This type of deep, authentic friendship has spiritual roots. 
Okay, so this, this is not like your hunting buddy. This is not your golfing buddy that you can kind of go out and, and swing on the range like once a month or something like that. This is the type of friendship that says, man, we are, we are living for the same thing, man. We are driven by God's kingdom. We are driven by his mission. Let's do this, man. Let's do this together. Let's push one another. Let's encourage one another in the mission. I remember shortly after I became a, a follower of Jesus in college, I was 2021, 20, and went on one of my, my first mission trips with a group of college students, and we were, went to Romania, and we were in Russia for part of the time. I remember on this mission trip, I met a, another young guy, a Romanian guy who was um, part of the church that was growing over there, and uh, man, that, that young guy was just on fire for God. He was in his early 20s, and we, we couldn't even really understand each other, I mean, except when we had the translator with us. But it was this surreal experience where it's like our, our souls just bore witness that we had the same spirit in us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's just kind of this surreal, I can't even explain it, but this guy, never seen him before in my life. He was like a brother to me. We lived on opposite sides of the world, man, but at the time we were both, we were young, we were on fire, man. We wanted to push God's kingdom forward. There was just this unexplainable, supernatural link that we shared, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have, like, non-believers as friends in, in your life. In fact, you, you should. You should have non-believers. You should have friends in your life who, who don't believe, who aren't Christians. You should do that intentionally. Like, we should be chasing people. We should be inviting people into our lives. We should be inviting people into the kingdom of God. We should be showing them how good God is. But I'm just saying to you that the deepest form of friendship is built when two souls are chasing hard after the same thing. When two people are passionately going hard after God and his mission as the foundation of their lives. Let's do this. Let's do this, man. We can, we can do this. Stay in the fight. It's just that type of love and encouragement, and they're on the same page, on the same foundation, spiritually speaking. One last highlight about true friendship, and then we'll wrap it up. Number four, true friendship is always fueled by friendship with Jesus. You think about it. Everything that you and I have ever wanted in a friend is perfectly embodied in Jesus. As Jesus was preparing his disciples uh, for his crucifixion in, in John 15. And I've really been, um, so far this year, meditating on John 15. Um, in fact, a couple weeks ago, we had an all-day staff retreat, and we spent about an hour just digging into John 15, talking about it, uh, praying through it. I would encourage you on your own time just to, if you're looking for something to read through, go read through John 15. But Jesus is, he's preparing his disciples for his, his death. And one of the things he says to them in John 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And then later in the same chapter, he says, there's no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus went out and he proved it by laying down his life for his friends, for his disciples, for you and I. After his resurrection, right before he ascended back to heaven, he told his disciples, he said, I will never leave you. Just like Jonathan said to David, I'll be right by your side. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even until the end of the age. Jesus is the most selfless, loyal, self-sacrificing friend this world has ever known. 
Jesus is the better Jonathan. In so many ways, Jonathan was pointing us to Jesus, the king who would also lay down his crown to come and rescue his friends. And listen, it's, it's as we walk with him, it's as Jesus shapes our hearts, as he teaches us that serving is leading, that sacrifice is better than being served, it's in the context of that beautiful relationship with Jesus that we know and are prepared to be this type of deep friend to other people. And know this, being this kind of friend is not natural. It runs against everything inside of us. Being this kind of friend, in fact, I would argue is supernatural. You can only become this type of friend as you walk within a friendship with God. As we walk in friendship with Jesus, we develop this capacity, this ability to become this type of friend to others. And by this, God is glorified in our lives. Life-giving friendship with Jesus that flows into amazing, life-giving friendships with others. Let me close uh, our time just by saying, no matter who you are, no matter where you are at this point in your life, whether you're here and you've been following Jesus for many years, or whether you're here and, you're, man, you're a skeptic. Or maybe you're here, you just came with a friend, some friend or your mom or somebody drug you here. You don't know what all this crazy Jesus stuff is about. No matter where you are in your life's journey or on the spiritual spectrum, I want you to know Jesus is the friend that you're looking for. Jesus is the friend that you're looking for. He alone satisfies so, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've been looking for that, you've been searching for that in other relationships. Maybe you've been searching for it like in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife or a friend and you've just found yourself, man, you're, you're hurt, you've been betrayed, you're, you just kind of live in this constant sense of disappointment with people or maybe you're on the other side of the equation, man, and you're, you're crushing other people in your life under the weight that only Jesus can bear, You're just expecting them to meet needs in your heart and your life that only Jesus can meet. And so I just want to say, man, if you're you're here this morning and, and you don't know this Savior, if you're here and you don't know the perfect friend who will never fail you, the perfect friend who will never leave you, never forsake you, I want you to know that Jesus invites you into the most amazing friendship that you'll ever experience in your life. He's inviting you this morning to step into his kingdom. He invites you into this type of friendship that will satisfy you in the deep places of your soul that nobody else can reach. So I just want you to know, like, if if that's you, and as, as we've been talking, and as I say that, you're like, if your soul, if your heart is saying, yes, Yes, that's what I need. So my soul, so my heart longs for. I know I need this type of friend in my life. I just want to say, man, if that's where you are, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, your heart, I want you to know we're going to sing in just a minute, and then we're going to have some people up here. And we're up here to talk to you. We're up here to pray with you. If you don't have time for that, there's a little thing on your, on your little connection card that says, I want to know more about following Jesus. Just check that little box. Put your name on it. Drop it in the wooden boxes in the back. We'll contact you this week. But I just want to encourage you, friend, don't walk out of here. If the Spirit is moving in your heart, in your mind, in your life, don't walk out of here until you take a next step. 
Now, if you're here and you already have Jesus as your friend, he's already the king over your life, here's the question that I want to leave you with this morning. Who are you sacrificing for in your life right now? Who are you offering life-giving, self-sacrificing, God-glorifying friendship to in your life right now? And who is God leading you? Who is God just pressing you to, to, to kind of become, to be that deep, true friend to? This is part of God's plan for your life. It's for your good. It's for his glory. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing everything to come to us. Thank you for sacrificing everything to rescue us, to invite us into your kingdom and call us your friends. Help us to abide in you, Jesus. Help us to walk with you. Help us to deepen our friendship with you so that we can become that friend to others. Jesus, teach us how important it is for us to live in community, to live within the context of deep friendships, God. Help us to become true friends to others as you have been a true friend to us. We ask all these things in the strong, the beautiful name of the ultimate friend and the ultimate king, King Jesus. Amen. Church, stand with me as we sing.